Well, let's take our Bibles and we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy. And back in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 8. There's a subject that we talk about quite frequently uh, in Bible-believing churches. And uh, we talk about the need for revival. And I I think if we were to really uh, just maybe even just mention the mention of that word, it might bring to, to different minds different pictures of things. Some of you might be picturing some kind of a, uh, a service or, or a, 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 maybe a big tent where a, uh, an evangelist comes in and preaches and, and uh, there's a great moving of the Lord. Some of you might be thinking of some of the great revivals of history and and uh, movings of the Lord that uh, shook up and stirred up not only entire cities and regions, but entire nations. Uh, there are stories of, uh, of, of times of great spiritual awakenings where um, places of, of vice, such as you know, bars and, 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 and houses of, of sinfulness and things like that, were shut down and closed down because... The people who owned them and ran them got saved and, and got a hold of the Lord. There are uh, historical accounts of times where the Lord began moving in a particular area and, and it basically stopped life in that area and everyone was drawn to uh, what God was doing. And I don't know what it is that you might think of when you think about revival, but the truth is that when you go to the Bible looking for revival... Maybe if you were to take a, a Bible program and search the word uh, revival, you pull up an app on your phone, you search revival, you're not going to find that word really appearing in the Bible. You'll find a, a form of the word as in revive or revived. It's not a real common word. It occurs, I think, about 13 times throughout the whole Bible. And most of the time, it's in reference to physical Reviving, like when someone died or was at the point of death and they were brought back, they were resuscitated or at times even resurrected, and they revived. Or at other times you might find where someone is worn out, they're weak, and they eat some food or drink some water and they're refreshed and their strength comes back to them and it'll say that they were revived. But it really is not used very frequently in reference to our spiritual condition. You, you maybe can find a, a, a couple of examples in the, uh, for instance, in the book of Psalms, there's a question that's posed to the Lord in Psalm 85 and verse number 6, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Or over in the prophets, there's mention of a reviving of the work of the Lord. Revive thy work. In the midst of the years. But really when we, when we consider this concept of revival. If you're looking for that word in the Bible. You're probably not going to find a whole lot. In reference to spiritual moving of the Lord or awakening. So maybe you, you would think then. Well is, um, is this just kind of a man made concept then? If we don't really see this in the Bible, is it really just kind of man's idea? Is it just tradition that we talk about our need for revival? And I would say to you that the truth is, while the word isn't usually used in that way in the Bible, the theme of revival is prevalent throughout the Bible. 
There is a, a, a constant steady stream really from, uh, from very early on in the history of the nation of Israel all the way through the New Testament of uh, just this, this understanding that there are times when God's people need a moving of the Lord in their life to rekindle and restir the flames of their heart and their love for Him. You can't read much of the history of the nation of Israel without seeing a continual pattern of God working and moving among them and them becoming, you know, where, where the entire nation would turn to the Lord and look to Him and praise Him and the worship of God was taking place and, and, and they were observing the feasts and, and the commandments of the Lord and there was great joy and zeal. And then very quickly, very quickly, they would turn out of the way of that. And we find them going into idolatry and worshiping the false gods of the nations round about them and, and, and then the Lord bringing chastening and the Lord bringing, bringing judgment uh, to, their, to that nation in order to turn their hearts back to Him. If you read the book of Judges, you'll find that the book of Judges is really just a continual cycle of that pattern where the people would rebel against the Lord the Lord would deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And for a number of years, uh, maybe just a few years, sometimes up to 40 years, they were oppressed by other nations until they couldn't take it anymore. And when they couldn't take it anymore and they reached the breaking point, they would look at themselves and say, wow, our sin got us in this situation. And they would turn back to the Lord and repent and the Lord would deliver them. And we just see this constant cycle going over and over and over and over. Why is that? Well, it's because... People, and yes, I'm including us in this, we are prone to departing from the Lord. Now, maybe in our lives, it's not always just a total de uh, decision that we're going to leave the way of the Lord. We're going to disobey Him. We're going to forget about Him. Uh, but we just tend to grow cold toward Him, don't we? Many of us can remember when we got saved and the Lord just changed us and the Lord uh, awakened us to himself and, and, and we remember the joy and the, uh, just how, how exciting it was to have fellowship with the Lord and, and to be in the word of God and in prayer and to be in church and then somewhere along the way that excitement kind of wears off and then sometimes it becomes a little bit more mundane and tedious and we find ourselves going after the things of the world and not really having that same zeal that we once had for the Lord. And so when we talk about the need for revival, what we're really saying is that we need God to do a work in our hearts to move us and to stir us in such a way that we would once again be drawn to him. That we would once again be focused on what we need to be focused on. We find throughout the, the Bible, and yes, even in the New Testament, I say that because a lot of times people will say or, or will act as though this problem was true in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel, but once once we come to the New Testament time, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Therefore, there's never a need for revival. There's never a need for awakening in today's time and age. And I've heard people say that. Backsliding was a... Uh, 
That was an Old Testament concept. Because for New Testament Christians, if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and He will not allow you to fall. Well, the truth is, we understand we are sealed by the Spirit of God, and we are kept by the power of God, and God will never allow us to fall from our salvation. We are eternally secure in Christ. If we know the Lord is our Savior, we are kept by His power But that does not mean, friends, that our relationship with God is always what it ought to be. Because even in the New Testament, we find admonitions and warnings. We find, for instance, the Lord saying in the book of Colossians, we are told, "Set, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Well, that tells me if I have to set my affection on things above not on things on the earth, that I have to actually intentionally do that because I will naturally tend to set my affection on things on the earth. Or we're told, for instance, in 1 John chapter 2, to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why would we have to be told that? If if we did not have a tendency toward loving the world and the things of the world, we wouldn't have to be commanded not to love the world. We find in the book of Jude this admonition, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, again, that's not an admonition saying make sure you stay in a place where God can continue loving you. Never forget, friend, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God commendeth his love toward us. He loves us even when we don't love him. So the the, the commandment to keep yourselves in the love of God literally means keep yourselves in love with God. Why would we have to be commanded that? Because we have a tendency toward God backsliding. And so here in Deuteronomy, if you're not familiar, the book of Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy literally means second law. And what this is, is the nation of Israel has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after coming out of Egypt. And they're just about to cross into the promised land. But the generation of those who came out of Egypt died in the wilderness, remember, because of their unbelief. And so the the generation that is now coming into the land of promise, they are not the ones that God led out of Egypt, at least not as adults. Some of them were young children at that time. Uh, but, But now these are the second generation. And so Moses is recounting to to this second generation of Israel all of the laws and commandments that the Lord gave to them as a nation that they were to to, uh, keep and observe. And that really is what the book of Deuteronomy is about. It's the second time that the law is being given to the nation of Israel. He's saying, as you go into the promised land, I want you to remember the things that God commanded us. But along with all of the recounting of the law... There are multiple warnings. And these warnings are, make sure that you stay consistent and true to, to the Lord. Make sure that you worship Him. Make sure that you are uh, 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 obedient to His Word. Because if you'll do that, God will bless you. That was the covenant that God had made with them. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to uh, bless your land. I'm going to bless your, uh, your families. I'm going to bless your health. I'm, I'm going to make life good for you if you'll do what, what you know is right. But if you turn away from me, the opposite is going to be true. I'm, I'm going to, you're, instead of blessing, you're going to find cursing. Your enemies are going to prevail over you. Your, your land is not going to yield 
uh, a harvest. Your, uh, your, your flocks and your herds won't be blessed. Your health won't be blessed. And I will be against you. So these warnings are constant. Make sure that you remain faithful to the Lord here in the book of Deuteronomy. Now when we come to chapter 8, we find one of these warnings given to the nation. And I, I gave you all of that background so that you'll have some context when we begin reading here in chapter 8 because Moses is now going to encourage and admonish the Israelites to obey and follow the Lord. But he's giving them some warning about the dangers of backsliding. And that's really what I want to preach to you about today is the dangers of backsliding. And if you're here in Deuteronomy 8, if you're able, let's stand together as we read this portion of the scriptures. We'll begin in verse number 1. It says here, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to fear him, for the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths, that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God, for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thy heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, 
as it is this day. We'll stop reading there. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So we read a a fairly lengthy portion of this passage today because I wanted you to see that Moses here is he's talking to these Israelites and he's saying, listen, you're about to go into the land that God has promised you. And in the promised land, things are going to be different than you have known them to be in the wilderness. Remember, the, uh, these people are, are anywhere from 59 years old and under, and all they have ever known, really, is the wilderness. They were taken out of Egypt as a nation uh, that really was not a nation at that time until God called them out. Uh, they were brought through the wilderness, and there in the wilderness, they had a, a very interesting experience. As you can imagine, they living in the wilderness, living as nomads, was, was no piece of cake. It wasn't easy. They didn't have a place that they called home. The Lord led them different places. But along the way, they experienced the supernatural provision of God. They experienced God feeding them manna from heaven. Manna was this stuff. We call it bread, but it really wasn't bread. Uh, It was this stuff that came down from heaven. Best we can tell, it was some kind of like a like a goo almost that kind of fell to the ground and, and they would gather it up and they would bake it and do different things. And you find descriptions of it in the Bible, like what it looked like and kind of what it tasted like. But, but it was kind of this unknown substance that the Bible calls angel's food. And for 40 years, that's what they ate in the wilderness. Do you know what the word manna means? The word manna literally means, what is it? Because, I mean, that's the meaning of the word. What is it? Because God just supernaturally gave them this sustenance, food that fell from heaven that was unlike anything that any man had ever eaten. What is it? Well, it's manna. It was stuff that God gave them specially and specifically to feed them. Another thing that he did for them was that he provided for them water in the desert. We're talking millions of people living for 40 years in the desert, and they had water. How did they have water? Well, God would bring water out of rocks. Now, I know to some people this seems crazy. It is crazy. It's supernatural. I mean, God did this. It was God. It was the hand of the Lord that was providing for their needs. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, and their clothes never wore out. Imagine wearing the same clothing for 40 years and it never wearing out. He said, your foot never even swelled. In other words, I mean, their shoes never wore out and, and they never outgrew them. I mean, this was miraculous. Think about this. God was taking care of their needs. He was protecting them from enemies. Uh, he was watching over them. He was leading them physically by a cloud during the day. When the cloud would move, they would follow it. And at night, that cloud would change to a pillar of fire. It was the presence of the Lord going before them. And so they had experienced this for 40 years. But now Moses is saying, you're going to cross that Jordan River. You're going to walk into the promised land. And things are going to be different than you have ever known them before. Here's what you're going to experience. Instead of manna, you're going to eat the best food that the earth has to offer. You're going to walk in and there are going to be fields and vineyards that have already been planted. 
and all you have to do is come and take it. You're going to live in beautiful houses that have been built by the hands of other people. I mean, you're literally just going to walk into this land and your life is going to change. I mean, think about this. This is like the difference between a person who lives uh, hand to mouth, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Where's my next meal going to come from? All of a sudden, they hit the lottery and now they're living in a mansion and, and they've got, you know, wait staff that's, that's serving them day and night and, and all of these things. And, and, and God is saying, listen, this, this is the fulfillment of the promise that I made with your fathers. This is the promise that I made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You're going to benefit from this. Now you would think that, that the natural response of that would be the nation of Israel would be the servants of the Lord forever. I mean, look at all the things that God has provided for us. How could we ever worship another God? How could we ever follow after some other false god or false idol. God, we are yours forever. Jehovah, you are our God, right? But what does he say? You need to beware. You need to beware because the problem is when you get into that land and you start to experience the comfort and blessings and the fulfillment of the promise of God, your heart is going to start to wander away from God. This seems so contrary to, uh, to, to logic and our understanding. Why would it be that, that we would have a tendency to depart from the Lord when things are good? I want you to notice that, that uh, Moses makes, calls them to, to remembrance. He says in verse number 2, look, he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness... He says, to humble thee, and to prove thee, and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knowest not. Neither do thy fathers know. Verse, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there for now. Isn't it interesting that he says, I want you to remember the experience that you had when you came out of Egypt. I want you to remember the hardships that God put you through. Because when you remember the hardships that God put you through, you can see the hand of the Lord in these things. How many of you have ever experienced deep trials and affliction in life, but then you come out on the other side of it and you're able to look back and see the hand of the Lord in it? Anyone? Yes, this is a common experience for those of us who know the Lord. It's a common thing. God leads us in certain ways, and he leads us through valleys and difficulties. He says, God even suffered you to hunger. He allowed you to be hungry. God, why would you allow me to be hungry? Well, he tells us that he might humble thee to prove thee to know what was in thine heart. Now think about this with me. To prove or to test when it says that God did this to prove and to show what was in your heart, God did not have to find out what was in their heart. Does God not already know everything about us? 
He knows every thought of our mind. He knows every word that comes out of our mouth. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows everything about us. So why would it say that God put them through this to prove them to know what was in their heart? It wasn't for God's benefit. It was for their benefit. Because the truth is that when we're put to the test and we're put through trials, that's where it's really proven to us what we really are. You see, when things are going smoothly, when everything's smooth sailing, we might think we're strong. We might think we've got it under control. Everything is good. But friend, when, when our feet are put to the fire and when the trials come, that's when it's really proven out what's really in our heart. And so he says that God allowed you to do this, but not only did he suffer you to hunger so that he could humble you and he could prove you and know what was in your heart, but he says in verse number 3 that he fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. He said he, he put you through this and then showed you his provision in it so that you would realize that your greatest need is not for the material things of this world. Your greatest need is for God. Your greatest need is to know Him and to follow Him and obey Him. But you see, the, our, our problem is, our perspective so often is that if I just had this, then everything would be okay. Uh, Lord, if I just made more money and I wouldn't have to worry about money anymore then I'd be happy, then I'd be content. Uh, my greatest need is for my family to, uh, to, to be what they ought to be, for my marriage to be stronger, my children to be what they ought to be. My greatest need is for good health, and Lord, if you would just heal my body of this disease, then I would finally be happy. And what God is saying is, it is not the things of this world that make us complete and whole. It is Him and Him alone. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't bless and that God doesn't take care of us. He's about to lead them into the land of promise. But he's letting them know that this is really not where the blessing lies. The blessing uh, of the nation of Israel is not in the promised land, but it's in the Lord which leads them to the promised land. It is in him. So God says, I, I, I put you through these things so that you would learn to depend upon me, to remember that your greatest need is not for these material blessings. Your greatest need is for God. But then in verse number 10, I want you to see this. There's a caution that's given. He says in verse 10, When thou hast eaten and art full, then, this is a commandment, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he, giveth, or which he hath given thee, Beware, here's the warning, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Verse 14, then thine heart, after you've eaten and are full, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. Folks, you're about to... Be delivered from all your problems. 
The problem of where your food's going to come from, that's going to be gone. The problem of your housing and having a home, that's going to be gone. The problem of having enemies round about you, that's going to be gone. You are coming into the blessing of the Lord, but know this, that when you come into the blessing of the Lord, you're in danger. And the reason you're in danger is because when you live in comfort, you'll have a tendency to forget the Lord. Isn't it interesting that the greatest danger for the nation of Israel was not when they were outnumbered by their many enemies? The greatest danger for them was not when they went up against the Moabites or the Amalekites or any of their other, the Philistines, any of their other enemies. That, that wasn't their greatest danger. I mean, after all, God can deliver them. And over and over and over again, God delivered them out of the hand of their enemies who were stronger than they. That wasn't their greatest problem. Their greatest danger was when they were living in a land of plenty. Sometimes our human perspective is we see someone that goes through deep valleys, trials come in their life, tragedy comes in their life, and there's a thought in our minds and our hearts, boy, I hope that they can stay faithful and strong through this. I would hate to see them walk away from God because of these problems. Now, it's not that that never happens, but I want you to know this. A sincere Christian who is seeking the Lord, usually when the trials come, that's the time they draw closer to God. We think, oh no, if God does something else, if God allows something else to come into their life, they're going to raise their fist and shake their fist at God. Friend, if they're a true child of God, that's not going to happen. God will give them sufficient grace and help them through that, and they'll even be able to draw closer to them. But the greatest danger that we find ourselves in is when life is smooth sailing. When things seem good, when everything seems okay, we're just hanging out and doing our thing, and we think, man, we've got it all. You know that it's in that environment that most often our hearts grow cold to the things of God? When, when we have everything we need, there's, there's really nothing to pray for. I mean, think about this. Has there ever been a time in your life where your prayer list is kind of like that big because there really aren't that many things going on? Have there been times in your life where God is keeping you on your knees because of burdens and trials and difficulties? Which time was more dangerous for you spiritually? And so he's saying you're about to walk into God's blessings. Be careful. So strange. Friend, can I tell you that the greatest potential for backsliding in my life has been simply because oftentimes life is pretty good. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm not, I'm not asking for trials. Don't get me wrong. Lord, please don't misunderstand, you know. I'm not asking for difficulties. But I'm, I'm just being frank with you this morning that 
I think a lot of times as American Christians, we've become very soft spiritually because we've had it pretty easy. We've lived in abundance and blessing. We've lived, I've grown up in a time where pretty much anywhere you go in this country, you can find a church that preaches the word of God. That's not true everywhere in the world. But it's been true in my life. Sometimes I begin to take for granted. It was mentioned in Sunday school this morning. Brother Hawkins was talking about the fact that we often will will get comfortable with what God has given to us and begin to take for granted what he's done. Again, just, just to be here this morning, think about this, to be assembled together worshiping the Lord with a number of other saved people. We have no fear of someone bursting through those doors and arresting us for proclaiming the gospel. I mean, here we are. We're living in freedom and comfort. Did you know that's not true in many parts of the world today? I'm going to say that it's... Today was, it's daylight savings time, right? So you lost an hour of sleep from your typical week. And I'm going to just venture a guess, don't raise your hand. I'm going to venture a guess that there were some of you who woke up this morning thinking, oh, do I have to go to church today? Do you realize that there are people out there that woke up this morning thinking, I sure wish I had a church to go to today. We've just had it so good for so long. And I just want to say to you, we need to beware. Lest we forget the Lord. Lest our backsliding heart turns our focus away from him to the things of this world. As we look at verse number 14 here in our text, it says, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What's he saying? He's saying, the danger is, when everything is going the way that you feel it ought to be going, you're going to have a tendency to walk away from God because of two factors. One, pride. You're going to convince yourself that the reason things are the way they are is because of your own abilities. Now, I will tell you that I am am as American as they come. All right? and I am patriotic, and I love our country, and I love our history. I understand there's some dark spots in our history, but I'm thankful for where we've come from. I'm thankful for for the blessings that we have as a nation. And one of the things that I've always loved about America and being an American is that we are kind of self-made people. You know, there's a work ethic. This country was built on the backs of people who just basically said, hey, we're going to... My ancestors... They came, uh, on one side they came over from Norway, the other side they came over from Germany. I'm telling you, 
I don't come from a privileged background. <laughs> These people were not wealthy plantation owners. These people were poor farmers who lived hand to mouth. And they came over here and they carved out a life. Working the soil and raising animals and raising families and just barely scraping by in hope of a better future. And I stand here today because of hard-working, self-made people, you know? There's something in us that kind of takes pride in that, isn't there? Look what my hands have built. But friend, I want you to know something. No matter what you have, and no matter how you obtained it, you need to know this. All good things come from God. And whatever blessings you have and to what degree you have comfort and ease and wealth and all of these things, you need to look up and thank God for that. Because it wasn't your hand that made you prosper. Oh yes, you may have put your hand to work and if you've got a good work ethic and diligence, good for you. That's, a, that's something that I believe God wants his people to do. We ought to be hard working uh, uh, people, but I want you to know, whatever you have, it's because God's chosen to bless you with it. Don't become prideful. But because pride has a tendency to take us away from the Lord. The second, the second thing that draws us away from the Lord in times of, of ease and comfort is forgetfulness. He says that thine, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. Sometimes we just fail to remember. Some of you might need to go back in your heart and in your mind to where you were before Christ. And remember what life was like on the outside. And remember where he's brought you from. Some of us need to remember what God has done for us. Friend, I, I've always said, when, you, when I speak of my testimony, I was saved as a child. I was raised in a Christian home. And in a lot of ways, uh, I am like a second generation of Israelites that's only known the blessings of the Lord. When I look at my life, some people can, can look at themselves and say, boy, look what I was before Christ and yet he still saved me. I have to look at myself and say, look what I was even after Christ. And the things that happened after my salvation. And the way that I wandered away from the Lord. And yet he still loved me and drew me back to himself. But I'm sure thankful. May I never forget. Listen. There is no reason that I ought to be standing before you and preaching God's word to you. I mean that as sincerely as, as I can. I, if you knew the opportunities that God provided me with and that I squandered away because of my fleshliness and sinfulness and my pride and arrogance... And the fact that God would be merciful to me to bring me back into fellowship with Him, it's just amazing. The choir sang this song this morning, There's Grace. There's always God's amazing grace.
May we never forget God's grace. Go with me quickly, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. Revelation 2 and 3 are the letters to the seven churches of Asia. And I want to look at two churches this morning before we close. The last one mentioned is this church at Laodicea. They're the church that was known for being lukewarm. And they received of all of the rebukes that the Lord gave to these churches in these seven, uh, to the, in these seven letters. They received the harshest of them. God said, because you're neither cold nor hot, He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. But look at what he says of their spiritual condition. Verse number 17 of Revelation 3, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what the problem was with the church at Laodicea? Pride. They thought that everything was good. Everything was okay. They woke up on Sunday morning, came to church, dressed their best, put a smile on their face. They said, no, I'm good. Sometimes we get to a place in life where we think, I've got to figure it out. I've been saved long enough. I've read my Bible so many times. I'm faithful in church. I have need of nothing. We'll sit and listen to the preaching of the Word of God, and we think, boy, that was a great message for so-and-so. And I know someone needs to hear that. But we don't stop and think, maybe I have a need. 1 Corinthians says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Spiritual pride is an indicator of a backslidden heart. Secondly, let's go over one chapter, Revelation 2, Ephesians, or the church at Ephesus. The first church mentioned here, Revelation chapter 2, a good church. They labored, they had good doctrine, they were serving the Lord. Verse number 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. You're not loving God like you ought. Look what he says, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. You have forgotten where God brought you from. This morning, can I ask you a very simple question, Christian friend? Have you forgotten where God brought you from? And has it caused your love for God to wane? Do you sit here this morning with some pride? Oh, I'm not talking about an arrogance. I'm not talking about a having an air about you of superiority. I'm saying, do you sit here today believing that everything is fine and that you don't need God to do anything in your life? Can we all admit today that we are broken sinners and every one of us needs God to work in our lives?
I need God's help. I came to church this morning with spiritual needs. And I'm hoping that God's going to meet those needs through His Word. May we never get to a point where we think, oh, we got this. The kids need it. The lost people need it. Baby Christians need it, but I'm good. No, 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 no. No, we need God. Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. We need God, whether we're living in the wilderness, in the trials and afflictions, or whether we're living in the promised land in comfort and ease. We need God.